Hello, it's James Ellis here with another edition of the Nutrition Lab, dissecting all good things to eat and drink. Now, both Timmy Thomas in the 1970s and Chardet in the 1980s sang, Why Can't We Live Together? And the truth is we do live together, mostly quite happily, with a whole host of bugs on our skin, in our mouths, and very importantly, given it's where the majority of our immune system lies, in our guts. Yes, folks, today we're talking about the microbiome, those trillions of bacteria that live in harmony with our body, have evolved almost to become part of us. If you want to know just how abundant they are, then we've got about 37 trillion human cells in the body, but 100 trillion bacterial cells. That means, guys, that you are outnumbered by three to one by these guys. So it's vitally important that we get along with them. To see how we can best do that, today's guest is the very wonderful Debbie Cotton of Invivo Healthcare, who will offer advanced lab diagnostic tests and therapeutic supplements. I'm going to dig really deep into stool testing, the microbiome, how we can find out more about it and what can, we can do about it all. So Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's um, really lovely to be here on, on you know, a day like today. Great. So just so that people know a little bit more about you, could you tell us a little about yourself and your own background? That's an Antipodean accent, which may be a little bit of a giveaway to some people. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I'm obviously Australian. Um, I, oh, background wise, I trained as a naturopath in Australia many years ago and uh, kind of from there just kind of kept progressing in the field, kind of wanting to know more and more as we do because it's a little bit addictive. Um, so I also kind of studied so health science um, and kind of did some more biochemistry and stuff around, around the fact. And then over in here in London, when I was over here, got really into the mental health aspects of things. So also trained as a psychotherapist. Um, and kind of over my years, I'm, I'm a herbalist as well as a, a, you know, nutritional therapist. So that's kind of, I, I'm kind of very much into to herbal medicine is, is really kind of where I feel really comfortable. And, um, so yeah, over the years I've kind of grown and grown and grown and, and I've ended up working with Invivo, who is a wonderful company. And so very much been diving into the microbiome, um, because that's really their speciality. So, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the gut microbiome then. I mean, 70% of the immune cells lay, lay in there. What is the importance of it and why should we be looking after our microbiomes? What, why is it so important? That's a really good question, James, because essentially the microbiome is a... That, well, we've got many microbiomes in the body. So we've got the oral, we've got the gut, we've got vaginal, you've got the one under your armpit, you've got, you know, they're all very different and have their own different symbiotic roles with us as humans. And in a way, you could call them an organ in itself. So without a microbiome, we wouldn't survive. You know, if we were totally sterile, we'd be dead within minutes because we rely so much on all of the kind of... Um, metabolites that a lot of these bacteria make for us that we cannot make ourselves so we we require them for you know our nutrition but for parts of our immune system it, they're required um they're required for our digestion processes they're also to crowd out pathogenic bacteria so just merely by taking up bums on seats they crowd out pathogens there's just so much that they do for us and so much we're also learning about. It's such an emerging area of science that, you know, every day there's new research papers coming out kind of linking different patterns of 
microbes to kind of different ways of us functioning as human beings. And, you know, I don't know if it's a mystery we'll ever fully unlock, which kind of makes it even more cool and, and mysterious and interesting. And what is it about the gut microbiome that is so, is so specifically interesting then? How does that differ from from the other ones, like you said, like oral and on your armpits and vaginal and things like that? So I guess the main thing about the gut microbiome, it's probably one of the most diverse microbiomes. Um, so it has a lot more species living within it. And one of the most obvious reasons why that is, is because so many food substrates for the bacteria go in there. So there's just such an amazing ecology, I, I guess, that is, is in the gut for them. Um, and what's really been linked with human health is the diversity that we do have within the gut. So the more diverse, the more different strains you have, the, the um, you know, the sort of the very much the, the kind of the differences that you have in there is, is actually really quite important. And so the gut microbiome is super important because you know, from mouth to anus, essentially, is a really thin layer of um, cells, the epithelial lining, which is really rich with immune cells. And, it, you know, it's there to kind of let into our body what's really important for us and also to keep out what is not good for us. And, and the microbiome plays a really big role in that gatekeeping, in keeping the immune system at bay so we're not overreacting or underreacting to things. Um, and also making metabolites that we need to function for brain health, for, you know, antioxidants, for liver health, all, everything. So yeah, They say that a person's microbiome is as individual as their fingerprint. Mm -hmm. So what kind of things can affect that? I'm thinking about things like whether you've had a vaginal birth, whether you were breastfed as a baby. They're all things that can affect it, aren't they? But then also on a day-to-day -day basis, what else can affect it? Yeah, absolutely. So we've, you know, we've got your history. So your familial history, what's been passed on. Um, you know, if you think about genes and microbiome interaction, um, you know, you're, you would have been passed on a certain sort of amount of genes that would have, you know, more likely to attract a different type of microbiome. Like you mentioned, breastfeeding is, is such an important one versus bottle feeding will set you up with a different microbiome. Your type of diet you eat, so whether you're keto, whether you're, um, you know, low FODMAP, whether you're, um, all of these things play an importance. Where you are in the world, you know, so uh, for example, we see a lot of microbiome test results from over here in the UK. So we see a lot of what the microbiome of the UK looks like. But if we were to compare that to, you know, a, an African tribe or an indigenous Aboriginal uh, group, it will be different because of just, you know, the micro microbes that are indigenous to the area and the food types that are indigenous to the area. Um, our digestive processes, our immune function, all of these things can play a real difference on what our microbiomes will form and look like. Now, there are certain patterns that we're aware of, like big macro patterns. Mm. It's really the micro patterns that can very much change in individuals. And, and these are very hard to, to kind of ascertain, essentially. Yeah. So one way of ascertaining them up to a, up to a point is some of the stool testing that, that you guys do. Um, what kind of picture does that paint for both clinicians and patients when, when somebody has one of the stool tests that you guys offer? So stool testing is really interesting because what we're getting is a snapshot in time of, of kind of the microbial communities that are obviously living in the gut. And this could be anywhere from mouth to anus because, you know, we're, we're catching it at the end. 
Um, and really what we're looking at is relative abundance of microbes that are present in the sample. And we use DNA sampling techniques. So luckily we don't have to culture them, so it can be quite accurate on, on who's there and, and who's playing a role. But really what we're looking at is, you know, we are looking for patterns. We're not necessarily looking for pathogens, even though, you know, we do measure some of those uh, for obvious reasons, because there's some bacteria that are not so helpful for us and mm -hmm. we don't want. But in the major cases when it comes to the microbiome, we're looking for the patterns that are emerging. We compare it to the diet that someone's eating, the health and the symptoms that someone has. And we try and kind of map these things together to kind of say, hey, how could we nourish this microbiome in such a way that hopefully would be more conducive to a healthful state in that individual? Now, it's not um, the measuring is an exact science. So, you know, the kind of the tools that we use mm. in the exact science, the interpretation is not. It's, it's, it's definitely got a, a bit of art in there. And also there's, uh, you know, like I said, every day there's new research. So we just kind of have our idea around what one pattern should look like and then a new research study comes out and we really have to kind of think about these things in different ways. Yeah. So, but yeah. Presumably for people who've got quite um, either chronic or quite exacerbated symptoms with something like extreme diarrhea or something like that you can almost spot potential causes by looking at uh, some test results can't you depending on, on, yeah, on what the abundance is and what the share is of each type of bacteria i guess absolutely you know there are um when we talk about bacteria we often group them into different um groups so we've got what we call commensal bacteria which is the bacteria that live with us and often give us a benefit. So we want to firstly make sure they're there because they play such an important role in, um, in all of the kind of the keeping the immune system safe, crowding out everyone else, making sure we haven't got sort of the terrain that could cause issues. We've then, after that, we've got what's known as kind of pathobionts. And pathobionts are bacteria that do live with us on a day-to-day -day basis. But if you couple that with an immune system that's low, a commensal group that's not looking great or healthy, these pathobionts can quite easily move across to kind of a more pathogenic state. So they can be a little bit more damaging to us. You know, like I said, if you've got a healthy everything else, then great. The presence of them isn't an issue. But if they're taking up more... Um, if you think about it as a cake, if they're taking up more slices of cake essentially than the commensals, then we might be moving to a you know more diseased state. And then of course we've got the presence of pure pathogens, which are you know things like giardia or whatever that we just really don't want to be carrying because they know we you know there's a known sort of uh, symptomology that comes with them and, and damage that they do to the rest of the gut and the microbiome. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does, so, you know, having a stool test done with you guys, because you're using this DNA, DNA technique, PCR testing, that's much mm -hmm. more expensive than going to just your GP and doing a regular stool test. For people who are wondering about whether the cost of one of these tests is sort of like worthwhile or not, what kind of differences do you experience between the kind of testing you guys do and your regular thing that you get done at the NHS via your GP? Um, so the NHS tests um, and the GP tests are brilliant for acute pathogens. So if you've just had a real bout of food poisoning, um, you know, from chicken or something along those lines, or you feel like, you know, 
when I say acute, it's like the symptoms have just come on all of a sudden and you think, oh, I'm really ill and I just want to work out what this is. This yeah. is where the NHS testing is actually very good because they, the kind of, with any of these tests, we're always looking for, you've got to kind of prime what you're looking for. Okay, so, and the NHS tests are specifically looking for acute pathogens because that makes sense. That's mm. what they're there for. So they're really looking at a, a acute pathology. The kind of the, the microbiome testing that we're doing is really, again, it's, it's about the set of primers that we're looking for. We're looking for some pathogens, um, but mainly we're looking for kind of also the healthful uh, microbiome and we're looking for kind of patterns that might emerge in more chronic conditions so we're looking for a different uh, array of microbes so it's really the lens that we're putting on more yeah. than anything else um, which is giving us a different set of information and of course it really depends how you want to use these tests uh, and what you're using them for and, and often a lot of people are using them for biohacking or for health or they've got a chronic condition that they want to deal with uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, and and from a, an actual practical technique point of view, I take it the NHS one is more like you talked about trying to cultivate things in a lab, whereas you guys are actually delving right into the DNA of the of the microbes mm -hmm. in the stool. Is that right? That's right. And again, some. It's a bit hard because the NHS does use some PCR technology as well. So sometimes they do, on some certain things, they will use the same technology we do. On other things, they don't. So it just depends. Uh, but a lot of the time, the cheaper technique is to do culture. So culture and then running it through a machine that should you know, be able to pick up what's there. Now, the biggest trouble with culture... Um, like it's great if you've got a microbiologist on the other end of the mic, you know, of the microscope. I've got one here that I'm looking at. Um, <laughs> so if you if you've got a microscope and you culture something and you physically look at it, you might, you know, if you're kind of working in the infectious disease units, that's what you want to do because you're looking for weird and wonderful things. We're not looking for weird and wonderful. We're looking for known samples, so we're looking for the DNA of things, um, and that's where DNA kind of really comes into its own because it's really accurate because you don't have to make something grow that doesn't normally like to grow outside of the body because if you think about um inside the bowel many pockets there's both aerobic and anaerobic bacteria which means oxygen loving and oxygen hating bacteria and if you're trying to grow oxygen hating bacteria outside of the body obviously they don't want to grow like lactobacilli is an example of this they they don't like growing on an agar plate because the condition isn't right for them. Whereas if you're looking for uh, it with DNA, then you can kind of pick them up quite easily. You can see who's there because you don't need to culture them and get them to grow and then get a false negative result, essentially. Now, aside from, aside from the microbiome itself, your mm -hmm. tests show other markers of gut, gut health, things like calprotectin levels, which is, mm -hmm. for people who don't know, it's, it's a protein and the levels of that can help differentiate between whether somebody suffers from IBS or IBD, so inflammatory bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease, but also mm -hmm. things like secretory IgA or CIGA, which is an antibody which helps stop pathogens colonize the gut. I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about that gut health side of the testing you do and how that actually can help somebody dig deeper into what may be affecting them or how their health might be or the health of their gut. One thing we talk about here at Vivo a lot is that um, we're looking at human ecology. So if we looked at the microbiome without looking at the human and how, or the host of the microbiome, what we really need to look at is the relationship to each other. 
because it's that relationship between the human and the microbiome that is super important because you might have a pretty terrible microbiome, but if you're somehow kind of the host is dealing with that and has a great immune system and everything else, I'm sure that's not going to stay that way for long, but at the time it might be symptom free, but where if you've got kind of a microbiome that, um, again, that's not great, but you couple that with uh, a low immune system or, you know, kind of high inflammation or uh, epithelial lining that's weak and letting lots of kind of uh, byproducts that are not so helpful from the microbiota into the system, then we're more likely to develop sort of chronicity and, and kind of symptoms. So, um, so we measure the host markers, which means they belong to the human. And that's things like you mentioned, secretory IgA, which is your first line of defense in the gut. Um, so it's kind of looking at your ability to kind of keep things at bay and make sure they don't cross into the body when they shouldn't. Um, calprotectin, as you also mentioned, is an inflammatory marker that, that tells you how active white blood cells are at the gut wall. So if the white blood cells are super active because they're dealing with damage, then that marker will rock, rock it up. And we also look at kind of things like pancreatic elastase, which is looking at kind of digestive capability of the, of the pancreas and how that's going, um, as well as some other markers like beta defensin 2, which again is an antimicrobial peptide that lives in the gut wall. So that's talking a lot about how you're responding to your microbiome. Um, and there's something else that I've forgotten that will come back to me. <laughs> so when somebody comes to you as a clinician outside of your in vivo um, role. Yes. What kind of symptoms would they be presenting you with that you would suggest that they had a, this kind of stool test? For me, it's often, so it might be people presenting with chronic gut problems that have, you know, they might've had lots of other investigations and testing and, and just never really, got finger on the pulse of what might be the pattern of what's going on. Um, and I might use also, you know, SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth breath testing sometimes in cases alongside to get a kind of a whole picture of what might be going on. Um, but personally, I tend to use them in more chronic conditions. So people that um, suffering from long-term autoimmune conditions, um, maybe things like insulin resistance, um, you know, things where I think the gut ecology might be kind of really compounding some low-grade intestinal um, permeability issues that are allowing sort of kind of too much microbial matter into the system, creating a low-grade inflammatory picture. Uh, depression, mental health is, is obviously a common one as well. Um, but also I'm looking for symptoms as well, gut yeah. symptoms generally alongside. So I get my, my test back and it shows that my gut wall is all over the place and my bacteria are in the wrong order and the wrong levels and everything and my commensals and my pathobionts and my pathogens are, are, are not right. What kind of strategies would I do then for both, both gut healing and I guess it's called dysbiotic dysbiosis isn't it when when, yeah. you, when when your balance is not right what kind of strategies would you suggest for somebody who's had one of these tests and 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 they have either of those issues then so first of all gut healing and then second of all and dysbiosis so i think the first thing is uh first and foremost is is diet um it's really looking at 
what are you eating to be able to feed the bacteria in such a way that we're growing in a, in a pattern that we want. Um, and sometimes even diet, like the amount of, um, so there's a lot of plant chem chemicals known as polyphenols, which can have a really big impact on reducing the growth of some pathogenic bacteria and also increasing the growth of others. So we really want a really diverse, rich diet, rich of plant foods um, and lots of fibres, but equally, you know, some, some different diet microbiome patterns will require different interventions. So, you know, might, some might need more fat, some might need less, some might need more protein, some might need less. So it really is dependent on the pattern that emerges. But the, I think the thing that stays the same for everyone is kind of increasing polyphenols and increasing fibre. Yeah. Um, and then kind of on top of that, you can kind of get more, again, in, if you're more looking into the kind of the biohacking sort of thing, you want to get quite specific on, well, can I increase certain polyphenols almost in a herbal uh, medicine type way or certain what we call prebiotics, which means kind of fibers that feed certain types of bacteria. Can I, can I kind of increase them specifically to then make the metabolites I need to hopefully fix my uh, like epithelial lining or, or to balance my immune system or all of these things. So again, we're looking at nutrition, but we're getting a little bit more tricky with it essentially by looking at kind of certain subtypes of foods that are often are taken as supplements, but don't have to be yeah. um, to try and increase the growth in a certain way. You mentioned uh, prebiotics there. Let's talk a little bit more about those then. So what kind of things can people do to help feed the bacteria that's there you mentioned polyphenols but there are also some supplements that you can use as well aren't there oh absolutely so polyphenols um are sort of first and foremost like you know rainbow colored diet essentially lots of plant foods um but a prebiotic essentially is something that the bacteria will eat that we do not so we don't necessarily as the host uh, have the enzymes to digest them we rely on the bacteria to digest these fibers. Um, and it's then what, it's the metabolites of these fibers, things like short chain fatty acids that the bacteria produce, that then we take up the nutrition mm. from, which we can get, you know, double benefit. The bacteria get fed and also we get fed something really good out of it. Um, so, so the kind of the definition of a prebiotic is something generally that escapes our digestion, but yet feeds the commensal bacteria. Um, the most common probably well-known ones are fructooligosaccharides. Um, now the trouble with, or its short name is FOSS, um, the trouble with FOSS is it can feed lots of bacteria and especially gas-producing ones. So, you know, I think poor prebiotics got a bad name because FOSS was like, had loads of research around it going, look how amazing I am, which it is, uh, but also it produces a lot of symptoms. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a client come back to me a few weeks ago who was on some FOSS and he, uh, for two or three days until uh, I, I had told him to reduce the dose a little bit at first, but he went straight for a full dose and uh, he was quite gassy for a couple of days, poor guy, but he, he didn't put that right. So it all worked yes. out in the end. And it is amazing, you know, it will feed good bacteria, but trouble is some of those are gas producing bacteria, so it can be quite uncomfortable. So these days, these kind of what we call second wave probiotics, which are uh, prebiotics, excuse me, which um generally are ones that are kind of better tolerated in a lot of individuals and, and a little bit more specific on, on what bacteria they're feeding. 
Um, so another one of those is GOS, which is galacto-oligosaccharides, um, which are originally found in breast milk. Mm -hmm. And they were called bifidofactors before they worked out exactly what they are. So you can tell by that name that they they quite specifically feed bifidobacterium. And bifidobacterium, especially in the Western diet, is actually super important for kind of immune balance and a, um, as well as short-chain fatty acid production and lots of other things. But it's probably one of our most important commensal groups. Um, but there's, like I said, there is loads out there. There's also, um, you know, um, inulin, kind of um, xylose. There's, there's lots of different prebiotics out there but i would say the better tolerated ones are, are goss and also um there's another one known as partially hydro hydrolyzed guar gum which is a, a long term which essentially is a um a soluble fiber so it it, it um, dissolves in water um and it's it's a good fiber in general as any fibers are but again it's very much preferred by bifidobacterium and also some of the other um, diverse milieu in the large intestine and that one's generally quite well tolerated as well yeah. so so that's helping uh, feed those guys that we like and helping them them grow and is getting some secondary benefit from the metabolites that they produce and things then but what about the idea of probiotics mm -hmm. you know actually trying to introduce new bacteria into the gut and and how they work because they don't really hang around that long do they you they they don't seed into the gut and therefore stay there for too long not so much not so much many probiotics out there so um probiotics are essentially bacteria that have been uh, that can survive the digestive process is, is one of the things that they need to be able to do but also they have been shown to have beneficial benefits for the host again for us um so and a lot of these are used you know we, we all know of kind of the probiotics in yogurt and things like that but there's been a, a lot of research around probiotics again and it exploding more and more um and people using different specific strains for different conditions because um of, of course there's different bacteria associated with different things um so probiotics essentially work on a number of mechanisms. So firstly, taking a probiotic, just the actual um, signature, so to speak, of, of the bacteria as it moves through the digestive system will generally have a communication with the gut wall and can say to the gut wall, all is well. It's kind of like it can calm things down a lot from an immune perspective by this crosstalk. Even, even if the bacteria is dead or alive, it doesn't matter. It's the outside coat of the bacteria as it moves through its transitory effect can play a really big role in kind of down-regulating immune function. And that in itself can then change the microbiome um, so the rest of the microbiome by kind of going, oh, we don't need to be on standby. We don't need to be eating this so much. We, do you know what I mean? So that can have a real balancing effect, what we call an immunomodulatory effect. Um, but also as these bacteria move through, a lot of them do kind of um, come back to life because there's, you know, there's the right conditions for them. And as they move through, the metabolites they make can also have quite a really big impact on both uh, immune system and our epithelial health, but also just on the microbes around them. They can stop other microbes from overgrowing or they can, their metabolites as they're moving through might feed other microbiota. So even though if probiotics, even if that particular strain doesn't hang around for a long time, 
as it goes through, it can make really big implications and knock-on effects to the microbes you've got growing there and help you to change your own microbiome in that particular way. Mm. So they have a lasting effect more from that perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there are so many out there on the, on the market now, and it becomes almost, even as a clinician, it's almost hard to pick which one to recommend people. And there seems to be a race to get as many billion different uh, cultures into somebody you know I th remember a few years ago people say oh you've got to have at least two billion then it was four billion and ten billion now there are people producing supplements with up to 450 billion live bacteria in there or colony forming units how how do people what advice would you give to people who are trying to work out which probiotic to take and, and why and is there anything in the stool test that can tell them which probiotic to take and why so one thing to say is we are all different and we're not all going to have the same impact. You know, you can do a really lovely clinical control trial on probiotics and, you know, it might work in, I don't know, 80, 90% of people. It may have a different impact for those 10%. And you've got to remember that everyone's got their different signatures and their different microbes that they're going to react with better or worse. And, um, I'll talk about the stool testing, answer that one in a moment for you. But the reality is, is even though they're well researched, and I would say if you're trying to choose a bacteria for you, if you have a certain known condition, try and choose the bacterial strain that's got research in that area. So if you've got asthma and you're taking it, for, like try and find the strains for asthma. If you've got, um, you know, if it's the skin condition, try and find the strains that have been researched in the skin condition. Try and have a quick little Google. It will come up. PubMed is a wonderful database if you fancy using it. Uh, there are kind of advisory networks out there like Probiotic Advisor for nutritional therapists that if they want to use that where someone else has done the digest for them. So that would be my first thing is try and choose something that way. If that's not the case, if you're just thinking of health in general, then I would be thinking about uh, the bigger um, commensal bacteria, bifidobacterium and lactobacilli. And again, before maybe taking them, this is where the stool test can help is kind of seeing, do you need them? Do you need them? Or, or do you actually have plenty there already? And actually it's, it's other bacteria, like maybe the smaller short chain fatty acid producers that you're missing that actually need feeding. So that's where the stool test can help. It can kind of really go, who do I need to, as a group, focus in on? Um, but like I said, even, even if you just want to take one for health, I'd say stick with the bigger bifido and lacto brands. And also remember that, uh, everybody's different. You know, your mate might be taking it for health and he's seeing a wonderful effect and you're not, you know, we are so diverse change brands change. You know, there's not one brand that's perfect for everyone. You've got to find what works for you. Um, and also remember fermented foods. There's lots of ways you can get probiotics that are not necessarily a supplement and an area that i guess as a herbalist or somebody who deals a lot with with herbs is probably quite close to your heart is there are some antimicrobial supplements that you can can take as well aren't there that can help reduce some of the more pathogenic bacteria if, if they show if they show up on a test i wonder if you could tell us a little bit about those supplements and when they might come into to action so if you are carrying pathogenic bacteria and, and it needs to be shifted, you know, if it's something horrific, you know, you may need to consider antibiotics, obviously. Um, but the trouble with any 
sort of antibiotic is that it's kind of a slash and burn technique. Like you're coming in and you're also reducing diversity. Um, so if you do need to take a, you know, a, a pharmaceutical antibiotic, fine, but really think of how can I repair my microbiome afterwards? How can I fix my diversity? And, and that's hopefully you'll go back to prebiotics, probiotics, diet, um, you know, polyphenols. Mm. But if you've got a choice to be able to kind of do something lesser because it's maybe not something as, as an acute um, then definitely antimicrobial antimicrobials are a winner because the great thing with a lot of herbal antimicrobials is um, a lot of the time you are also protecting diversity a little bit more. Now, if you took an antimicrobial long term, that's not going to be a great thing for you. Um, but if you're taking kind of short term, I mean, kind of four to eight weeks of different sort of um, herbal antimicrobials, you can kind of help to reduce the growth of that pathogenic bacteria, but equally not impact too badly on the rest of the kind of the diversity of the microbiome. Um, so, and the beautiful things about herbs is you also get, you know, side effects or I would say kind of helpful effects of the rest of the polyphenols and everything that are in there as well. So you get this double bonus of kind of taking an antimicrobial, but actually they have all these wonderful anti-inflammatory impacts or they might be good for your nervous system or immune system. It depends on the herb, but you know, there's other kind of uh, effects that you get with that particular herb at the time. So. A final question for you, for you, Debbie. You know, the testing's great. I've done my own test. I've done it on clients before. I think the results are fantastic. The one thing that most people usually bulk at is the actual cost of one because we're looking at upwards of £250, £300 to, to, yeah. to do a test. So it's not financially feasible for somebody to do one once a month or once every two months or whatever after they've done some kind of intervention. So what kind of clues are you looking for? Somebody does a test. They get the results, they speak to their nutritional therapist or their clinician, they come up with it with a strategy. How do you know if that strategy has worked if you if you can't retest is part one of the question. And part mm -hmm. two is, should we be doing these kind of tests as a matter of course, just as a general health check? I mean, is it something that you'd recommend people do maybe annually or every two years or so just to make sure they're on top of things? So part one, I would say what we're always looking for is... Um, I'm going to quote some Australian comedians here. Like, is your poo like a Christmas present? Like, are you feeling happy with, you know, your stool movements? Um, it is normal to have flatulence during the day of kind of about 10 to 12 times, but is it, does it feel normal? Does it feel healthful or is it kind of bloating and painful? And so that they're the kind of the immediate things we want to see shift is like your happiness of your kind of gut transit. Um, but also we want to look for, how you're feeling in your wellness. And these can be things like, uh, are you feeling healthful after kind of after sleep? Are you, um, can you tolerate stress? Well, um, you know, are you kind of getting frequent colds? It, it might be all those little minor things that we're actually looking for. And, and I would say if, if you're doing any kind of change in your diet, not even just after a stool test, but these are the things that we want to look for is, is those kind of, the microcosm of, of wellness, essentially. And your second question was around, should everyone be doing one of these? You'd be doing one on a regular basis, I mean, maybe annually or like almost like an annual poo health check, if you like. Um, I think what's important about any testing is thinking, what am I going to do with that information? So 
I love knowing this sort of stuff and I would have a tendency to kind of geek out on, you know, what my oral vaginal gut microbiome looks like. What can I do about it? Um, but that's just who I am as a person. I love that information and it, and it helps me and it makes, helps me make informed choices about my lifestyle and, and things like that. Um, but equally, if that's going to make someone anxious, if it's going to make them you know, fearful or anything along those lines, then I would say, well, you know, let, let's, you, we need to think about information and where that lands essentially and what you're going to do with that information. So no, I wouldn't say not everyone needs to test all of the time. Um, it's great information if you're going to use it well. It's mm. like, you know, use the force well, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose one of the things to highlight to people as well is that you mentioned things like how do people deal with stress? How do people deal with sleep? diet lots of other things come into this and i think it's important just to tell people that these kind of things aren't a silver bullet either they aren't just something no. that comes up with will give you a direct answer and it's part of a wider clinical picture that i think we as clinical clinicians need to look at to try and help our clients move forward but it's not necessarily going to give them every single answer that they want just in no. one result and sometimes it's just not that simple to read and it does need to form part of a wider clinical picture absolutely absolutely we always talk about um sort of we always need the context of the microbiome so you know that's the symptom picture the diet the lifestyle all of that has to come together to be able to read the microbiome you know i look at lots of microbiome tests and yes there's some stuff i can make assumptions of but actually that's quite dangerous, but we really need to know the, the context in which these microbes sit. Um, because just because you've got that pattern doesn't necessarily mean that you've gotten going to have the symptoms, you know? So, and that's what generally we're looking for is that there's a match between the symptom picture and also the gut picture. Great. Um, well, that's good. We did about 45 minutes of talking. We only mentioned the, the word poo twice, once you and once me. So I think we did quite well there, Debbie. So yeah. thank, thank you. Thank you very, very much for coming on. That was really great. Um, I appreciated your time. And uh, if anybody wants to uh, get in touch with Debbie, they can do so or find out more about InVivo. Then what's the website, Debbie, for InVivo Healthcare for people who are interested in this kind of thing? Yeah, it's a good question. It's www.invivohealthcare.com. Um, I think. That, that, that is right. I've just checked. <laughs> it's right. You just checked for me. Thank you. Um, and you can get us, um, like, so all of the clinical team are at support at invivohealthcare.com. So that's me, my, um, Louise, Humphrey, um, Naomi. We all pick up that email address. So if you've got any clinical questions, that's where we're at. Um, equally, we've also got, you know, if, there's, if it's more kind of a, um, information logistics, we've got the info at um, with the same handle and, and the girls there will also really help you there. So Fantastic. Okay, Debbie, thanks for coming on. Take care. No problems, James. Thank you so much. So thanks again to Debbie for coming on and talking so engagingly about the microbiome and simplifying that for people so they can understand exactly what's going on. I thought it was a really, really interesting conversation, finding out about how these trillions of bacterial cells get along with our own body. If you'd like to find out more about InVivo, then please visit InVivoHealthcare.com. There's lots of stuff there about stool testing, about their supplements. If you'd like to find out more about what I do, then you can visit my website, which is EnduroNutrition.co.uk. We'll see you again soon. But in the meantime, I've been James Ellis of Endure Nutrition Health and Fitness. 
with another episode of The Nutrition Lab. Mm-hmm.